If you would, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll be there in just a few moments as you're turning in your Bibles to that passage. I just want to say thank you to so many of you who look out for me. Uh, last week, I mentioned watching comics. And this past week, many of you sent me clips and you said, Sean, check out this clean comic. And so I appreciate you trying to keep me on the straight and narrow. Uh, I, uh, I'm going to let you in on a little secret this morning. I, I joke a lot about being skinny, but deep down, I hate being this thin. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it is almost impossible to find clothes that fit. Uh, when I go into a store and say I'm looking for a pair of pants and a 32-36, uh, people look at me like I just stepped out of the carnival or something. They, we, we don't carry that, uh, they tell me quickly. The second reason is people say all kinds of things to those who are thin, uh, things that they would never think about saying to an overweight person. It's almost like we don't carry the weight of feelings uh, is what people are thinking. And, and most of the time, it doesn't bother me at all. I really try to abide by the philosophy that you have a lot more joy in life if you have the ability to laugh at yourself. But every once in a while, there's a stinger that gets in there, right? Uh, and so you, you have to deal with that. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, if you feel that way, Sean, why don't you do something about it? And that's a fair question. Uh, because the reality is, with the right diet and exercise, I could beef up. And so the reason I don't do anything about it is because I, I just don't have the time or the money to eat right and exercise. At least that's what I tell myself. But I think we all know that's a lie, right? And so if I'm absolutely honest with you this morning, the reason I don't do anything about it is for this reason, weights are heavy. Like, like they're really heavy. And if you've ever tried to push up a weight, you realize that it's an uncomfortable feeling. And if you do that over and over again, it can make your body really sore. And I mean sore for a long time. And if there's one thing that I dislike more than being thin, I dislike pain and discomfort. Now, until that changes in my life, until I dislike being thin more than I dislike pain and discomfort, the odds of me putting on muscle gain, it's slim to none. There's an old adage that's so very, very true, say it with me, no pain, no pain, no, pain, no gain. This is true physically, but it's also true of our spiritual growth as well. And so this morning as we draw this sermon series to a close entitled Growth Spurts, here's the big takeaway this morning. I want to encourage you to lean into the discomfort and the pain. Now, this doesn't come natural for most of us. Our common response to discomfort and pain, even when it comes to spiritual growth, is what? It is avoid, avoid, avoid. But in order to experience spiritual growth in your life, you're going to have to embrace discomfort and pain. Now, one individual we see in Scripture who obviously was willing to do that, and he became a mighty powerful force for the kingdom of God, was a man by the name of Paul. And Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, and I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. You might want to underline that. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified 
for the prize. Paul says, listen, when I encounter pain and discomfort, I embrace it. I put myself through it because I want to be a force for the kingdom of God. The reality is far too many of us, when we bump up to pain and discomfort, we back away real quickly. In their book, The Good Faith, authors David Kinneman and Gabe Lyons share this lament. Listen to it. Too many Christians have substituted comfortable living for a life changed by the gospel. So how do you embrace change? How do you choose to lean in? Well, first, I want to encourage you to lean into the practice of spiritual disciplines. To lean into prayer and Bible study. To lean into fasting and Sabbath. To lean into silence and solitude. To lean into service and generosity and witness. And this often comes with discomfort and pain, doesn't it? The alarm clock goes off early in the morning so that you can get out of bed to read the Bible and spend time in prayer in silence and solitude. And what does your body cry out to do? Hit the snooze button, right? There's that pain and discomfort. An unexpected opportunity comes up to serve someone else, but you think about your carefully crafted schedule, and there's pain and the discomfort there, and there's that, that tension that says, I, I just want to back away from that. You have these moments in life in which you're really checked at whether or not I'm going to practice those disciplines or not. It's time to go to your home group, but what do you want to do? You want to veg in front of the TV just a little bit longer, and you bump into the pain and discomfort. I'm encouraging us this morning, let's lean in. Lean into those disciplines. Not so that we get stronger on our own. Here's the point of spiritual disciplines. It is putting us in an environment, it is putting us in a posture in which we are close to God so that He can overwhelm us with His love, and so that love begins to flow out of us and we bear fruit. This isn't something just to do to get check marks or to feel like you're more spiritual or anything like that. It's relationship. It's being with Jesus. Now, if you're interested in taking a deeper dive into the spiritual disciplines and maybe even creating what has been referred to as a rule of life or a way of life, I want to encourage you to check out John Mark Comer's website, Practicing the Way. There's some amazing teachings just about all these different spiritual disciplines and how to integrate those into your daily way of living and doing life. Uh, this is one of my spiritual goals for 2024 is to move a little bit deeper into this because I long to have a closer relationship with Jesus. But I understand there are going to be so many moments in which my natural reaction is to say, lean away, just turn on TV, just distract yourself, do something easier. Next suggestion, lean into being open-minded. Lean into being open-minded. Some years ago, my dad shared with me a conversation that he had had with a Bible class teacher who had shared a view of baptism that was different than his. Now, there wasn't a lot of time to have a discussion in the middle of Bible class about this, and so my dad went up to the teacher at the end of class and said, do you mind if I share with you just a few scriptures that have really led me to place a high value on baptism? And one of the scriptures that he shared was 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20 and 21, to which the Bible teacher responded, I don't care what Peter says, I don't want to have this conversation. That was a little bit comical, but at the same time, I can empathize where that individual's coming from. There have been moments in my life 
when I've been very close-minded about another presentation or interpretation of Scripture. Now, why is that? I think in many ways it's because it caused so much discomfort for me to think that, you know what, some of those people who shapes me in my formative years to understand Scripture, maybe they didn't get it exactly right, or maybe there was still more for them to discover, and there's more for me to discover. Now, I have found this is true of topics like Scripture, but it can also be very true of us. We can get close-minded about all the other subjects of life, about politics, about race, about history, about money, about anything you can think about. We can become very narrow and closed-minded. We see a man in Scripture by the name of Paulus who was just the opposite. He had an open mind, for those of you who aren't familiar with that name. Apollos was a Jewish believer in the early church. He had a vast understanding of Scripture. He was a gifted teacher of God's Word, but his understanding of baptism was, it was just a little bit underdeveloped. And so in Acts chapter 18, this Christian couple by the name of Priscilla and Aquila, they, they go to Apollos, just have a discussion about what he's teaching and what he's understanding evidently about baptism. And we read these words in Acts chapter 18 and verse 24 through 26. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. And he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. John's baptism was a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. It was not a baptism for the, with the Holy Spirit. And so there's a bit of underdeveloped understanding he, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained the way of God more adequately. So Apollos makes the decision, I'm teaching, I'm seeing results, good things are happening. This couple comes to them and says, we want to have a conversation. Now, there's some discomfort, I've got to believe there for him, but instead of backing away from the conversation, he leans into the conversation, what is the result? What the result is this, he puts on four, uh, more faith muscle, and he becomes even more powerful in his ministry. We read in verse 27 and 28, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, by no means am I suggesting that you have to agree with every single person who has a different view of the world or interpretation of Scripture or anything like that. What I am suggesting is this, is that we run the risk of stunting our spiritual growth and our ability to help other people grow in their faith if we allow our discomfort to keep us from being open to leaning into a conversation about Scripture or any other matter. Now, third, I want to encourage us to lean into correction. I don't remember this. I was pretty young at the time, but there is a story told in our family, primarily by my mom, about a time when my dad announced to our family that we would never, ever step foot in Chuck E. Cheese again. And it wasn't because of bad pizza, and it wasn't because of the obnoxious robotic band it wasn't because we went through quarters so quickly playing video games. Here's the reason. My dad worked for Eastman Kodak, and he had been working a deal with Chuck E. Cheese, the organization, the company, and they had done him wrong. And so he 
was hurt, and rightfully so. And so he, he was thinking, I don't want to give them my business anymore. So the story goes like this, that me being a little boy, fearing that I would never again experience heaven on earth, said to my dad, Dad, as Christians, aren't we taught to forgive? <laughs> Guess where we ate that night? <laughs> now, my dad may have had to choke down that pizza, but I appreciate so much his willingness to lean in to the discomfort. It's not easy to do. It's so much easier to become defensive. It's so much easier to be dismissive when somebody challenges our attitudes and our behaviors, especially when it comes from a manipulative child or maybe an uptight spouse or maybe an annoying neighbor. It's hard. And so it really requires for growth to take place, being able to put aside our pride and actually believe that perhaps God is working through those individuals because he desires to grow us up. Now, sometimes we get to choose whether we want to lean in or not. At other times, it just, it just happens. We just find ourselves in a place that we didn't want to be, having to deal with pain and discomfort. It comes our way. Why is this? Well, for one, it's the price of living in a broken world. And Jesus didn't hide this fact from us. He says in John chapter 16, verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And notice Jesus shares some good news and some bad news, and he says good news is this, that you can have peace in the midst of this broken, messed up world because I have overcome the evil one. So you, you can still find peace despite all that you're having to deal with in this life that's uncomfortable and painful. The bad news is this, nobody gets a free pass. Nobody. Some people have to suffer more than others. I've thought a lot about the Lobatos and what they've dealt with over the past couple of years. It's been so much, and I'm so sorry. But eventually, all of us run head first into pain and sickness and disease. We find ourselves in the midst of natural disaster or loss or broken relationships. We just don't get to find our way out of that. Now, you may be able to suspend it for a while by eating gluten-free and wrapping your children in bubble wrap and not going out in bad weather, but eventually it just comes knocking down your door. I think about my good friend Andy Walls. Andy, just the past 24 hours, 36 hours, got up in the middle of the night, took a fall, landed on an air purifier, and broke three ribs, two of them in a couple places. He's in bad pain. And so please be praying for Andy. But that's part of life, right? You don't expect it. You don't see it coming. It just hits you. It happens. It's a broken, messed up world. The second reason we experience pain, it's an inevitability, is because, and this is harder to hear, but it's no less true, here it is, our good God intentionally allows us to experience pain and discomfort in our life. If God wanted to, could he protect us from all pain? Yes, of course he could, right? He rules over the universe. 
And I'm convinced that he does protect us from a lot more pain than we realize. There are things that could happen in our life that God holds at bay so that we don't have to go through that pain and that discomfort, but not always. Now, there's one story that makes this clear. You know the story. Well, it's that story of Job, right? We see this so clearly in the story of Job. I've talked about it just a few months ago. But we recognize that Satan may have been the one who was responsible for the calamity in Job's life, but who ultimately gave Satan permission to bring about that, to bring the hammer down on Job, was God. God's own words indict him in this story. Job chapter 1, verse 9, and then verse 11 and 12. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a, but do not lay a hand on him, or do not lay a finger on him. Listen, God didn't just say yes once to Satan. He said yes to him twice. He said, Satan, you can take a second swipe at my man, Job. And this time, I'm going to allow you to bring physical discomfort, not just emotional discomfort. Now, why would God, who claims to be a good father, do that? Why would he allow that? As any loving parent will attest, one of the most difficult things in life is to see your children suffer. But if you do not allow them to be discouraged, to hurt, to experience pain, you will stunt their growth. I'm certainly no expert on this, but I wonder at times if this is one of the reasons that it's taking people longer and longer to grow up. So it seems that so many of us as parents, we care far more about our children's comfort than we do about their growth, and I've been guilty at times as well. But it often looks like this. If little Johnny's not getting enough playing time on the baseball team, we decide we'll go find him a new team. Instead of allowing him to struggle and grow and get better. Or if little Charlie isn't making friends in student ministry, we call up the youth ministers and say, Brian and Lauren, you need to fix this. You need to find little Charlie friends that he or she can hang out with because it just, it's too much for us to bear as parents. So somebody come in and fix it. Now, I'm not suggesting there are moments and times that we need to intervene for our kids. But if you rescue them too early... I promise you, you're going to rob them of the opportunity to experience a potential growth spurt in their life. The story of Job, it's not, it's not easy to stomach, at least it's not, not for me. It's hard to imagine any one individual going through so much hurt and so much pain and so much loss in their life. But I have to remind myself, this isn't just a story about loss. There's gain in this story. Now, part of us may want to say, yeah, yeah, at the end, the gain is he gains more kids and he gets his fortune back. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about this, this morning is he gains spiritual maturity in his life. 
that he was a good, obedient man, but after going through this, he came to discover that there is a God who is powerful, and there is a God who is holy, and there is a God who is faithful, and he came to a deeper understanding and appreciation for the Lord God Almighty in his life. And that would not have happened if he did not have a father who was a strong enough to allow him to face the fires of life. And this same God, this same loving God who allowed Job to go through that will allow you to go through trying times because he wants to mature you as well. And so he lets you go through those times. And that's the reason, that's the reason when we enter into trying times that we should have a posture of rejoicing. Because God is using those moments to mature our faith and grow us up. James reminds us of this in James chapter 1 and verse 2 and four, through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We rejoice in pain, not for the pain, but because we know there is a God who is doing something in the midst of that pain to help us grow up and mature in our walk with Him. Now, please, please hear me this morning. Some of you are going through really hard times, and I am not trying to suggest that you don't have reason to lament. I'm not trying to suggest there's not reason for your tears. I'm not trying to suggest there's not reason for your agony and your questioning. There's a place for that, and that's right, and that's holy, and that's good. But in the midst of that, hang on to God, cling to Him, and realize He's a good Father, and He's doing good work in the midst of such a bad situation. Let me mention one more reason suffering is an inevitable experience in life. We have a really, really hard time saying no to sin. And that's understandable. Sin is so appealing. And sin holds out so much promise. But in the end, sin always leads to the same place. Where is that? Well, James tells us. He says in verse 14 and 15 of James 1, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So often when we encounter sin and we want to do something that uh, we know it violates God's will, there's this promise we have. We think, you know what, this, I know if I do it this time, it's going to make me happy. I know it's going to bring me fulfillment. I know it's going to give me a greater purpose or whatever it is, but maybe it does for a short period of time inevitably where it drops you off those in pain and discomfort. It drops you off eventually in a, this land called death. It's the last thing that God wants for you. So whether you choose to lean into pain and discomfort or whether you find yourself there just because of the circumstances of life, the important question is this, what does pain and discomfort have to teach me? You see, pain is crucial to growth, but it doesn't guarantee growth. We see this clearly when you think about sin. So often people, they, they experience the consequences of their sin, they, they feel that pain and discomfort. But then, six months later, they are right back there dealing with the same pain and discomfort and consequences of their sin. Why is that? Well, it's because they, they had to lean into the pain and discomfort, but they didn't learn from the pain and discomfort. 
They just continued being the same person. Maybe they put it on pause for a while, but they never changed deep down. And so in order to learn from it, the important thing is that we're asking the right questions in the midst of our pain and discomfort, and as we're leaning into it. And what are those questions that we should be asking that might bring about the type of growth that, that we're after this morning? I'm going to get you started. This isn't a comprehensive list by any means. You can probably think of some better questions this morning. But here are just kind of three questions that immediately come to my mind. Question number one is this. What can this painful experience teach me about God? What can it teach me about God? Job suffered greatly, but by the time he got to the other side of that suffering, he knew God in a more intimate and deeper way, a a way that he did not previously know him. Listen to the words of Job. Job chapter 42 and verse 1 through 6. And Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things that I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I love that. I had heard of you, but now I have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. God, I heard of you before. I went through all this, but I've been through the suffering. I've been through the pain. I've been through the loss. You've been with me in it. You've been gracious to me, and now I see you. I'm in a relationship with you. This is what can happen if we allow our pain to be our teacher. She'll lead us to a deeper knowledge of God's nature and his purpose in our life. The second question is this, what can this painful experience teach me about following God? Think back to the Israelites, God leading them out of Egyptian captivity, rather taking them immediately into the promised land. We find that they wander around the wilderness and the desert for a long, long time. Why? Why did they wander so long in the wilderness? Well, our first reaction, at least my mind, is, well, it's because God had to punish them. They were disobedient, and yes, that was a part of it, but that wasn't the only reason. God allowed them to wander in the desert for a while because there were some things he wanted to teach them. He wanted to teach them to rely on his word as sustenance. He wanted to teach them how to truly trust in him. So we read in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2 and 3, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your hearts, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. Listen, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God doesn't put us in the wilderness just to punish us, although it can feel that way at times. He places us in the wilderness so that we might learn and grow and mature to understand Him better. Oftentimes, it doesn't come quick. The poor Israelites, they wandered around that wilderness. How long? 40 years. That's a long time. 40 years. In some ways, I feel like I've been in the wilderness for over a decade. 
I feel like I'm further into the wilderness, maybe closer to the other side of the wilderness. This feels like I've been there a long time. And I think it's because there's still a lot I need to learn. I find myself more and more thinking, you just don't trust God the way you should. You're not listening as well as you should. You're not following as consistently as you should. It's a hard place to be, but it's the place I need to be. And I'm thankful that I have a father that loves me enough and he's willing to allow me to stay there for the time being until I grow up in my faith. The final question I'd encourage you to ask is this, what can this painful experience teach you about you or what can it teach me about me? Uh, I had some things written here. I'm going to put those aside because I got a great phone call on Friday. I'm going to do my very best to tell this story without giving away any identities. And the truth is 99% of you probably don't even know the person. And the person gave me permission to share, uh, just so you know. Called me. It said, Sean, I've got a, just a story I need to share with you. I was at a Bible study uh, just recently, and I shared with my group that I want to start a neighborhood Bible study. So I'm excited about starting this neighborhood Bible study. I share it with my group, and after the group's over, this person who's much younger than I am walks up to me and says, hey, I, I want to pass on some tips and suggestions on how you should lead that neighborhood Bible study. And my friend says to me, I think I handled the conversation all right. I wasn't rude. I wasn't uh, hurtful to the person. But at the same time, what was going on inside of me was not good. I was really upset. I thought, how dare this person tell me how to lead a Bible study when I've been doing it longer than that person has been alive. This person doesn't understand or know the classes that I've taught, the things that I've written, the things that I've done in my life. I just so incredibly offended And my friend gets home and begins to think about that because my friend knows that's not a good place to be. It's not the feelings that this person wants inside of their being. So they begin to look below the surface. And my friend shares, I realize that I'm now living someplace new and people don't know me. They don't know my history. They don't know my story. And now they're looking at me like I'm just some older person who doesn't have much to offer or doesn't know what they're doing. And I feel like I just have to constantly be showing my resume. And there's just a lot of insecurity. And all I could think was, and that is why my friend is so incredibly spiritually mature. When you sin, there's this tendency, as we've talked about so often, to run to a place of shame. You're not going to grow there. The best thing you can possibly do is to move out of that and begin to ask this question, what's really going on below the surface of my behavior that I'm ashamed of? What's the wound? What's the pain? What's the hurt that I'm trying to cover up with this behavior. And when you're willing to get to that place, you'll begin to identify root causes that you can begin to address in a godly honoring way 
that brings healing, it enables you to begin to grow again. Pain is inevitable in life, but it does not have to destroy you. Pain can grow you. It can grow you if you have the courage to lean in, if you have the wisdom to allow pain to be your teacher. So as we wrap this up, I want to ask you to be praying for God to, through the Holy Spirit, speak to you and impress upon your heart where you need to lean in. But I want to give you just a few opportunities as well. So here's an opportunity to lean in. Ming, as you know, is very involved in organizing uh, meals for the homeless throughout the week. And he has a team of people who they, they don't cook the food, but they heat up the food, and then they deliver it to a lady by the name of Rose who makes sure that the homeless are fed. My friend Ming is going to be out of town, out of the country for two weeks. This is so cool. Ming is traveling to Argentina to meet up with a couple of people that he's been studying the Bible with through Friends Speak online for the past several years. They're getting together in person. That is beautiful and wonderful. But he needs somebody. He needs six people, really, who will just take one run to deliver those meals. If you, I know it's uncomfortable. I, I know it disrupts your schedule. But if you would be willing to lean in, See Ming or see Bob Brzezesko, and they can give you more information about how to step into that opportunity. Or here's another opportunity. Uh, Patty Sayer sent an email to us uh, this week about international students who are coming over to uh, be exchange students. They're looking for families to host these students for maybe a semester or even a year. It's an opportunity to lean in, creates a lot of discomfort. Create some pain, probably. But if you'd be interested in maybe doing that, being a host family for one of these kids from another part of the world, uh, think about that opportunity to show them love and maybe introduce them to Jesus. Uh, Patty has the email. I have the email. So you can, you can talk to us. I'm going to refer you to Patty, if that's okay, uh, because uh, she was the one that was reached out to first. And I also noticed that maybe there's a finder's fee, too. So I want you to get that, Patty, if, if possible. Uh, so I know you're not looking for that. But if you'd be willing to do that, that'd be great. Third way, this one, this one you're going to immediately say, no way, not doing it. I want you to lean in to get in control of how much time you spend on your devices. Your phone, your iPad, the internet, how much time you spend in social media. And try to maybe push that aside for a little while. I'm reading a book right now entitled Restless Devices by Felicia Wu Song. I just want to read to you a few passages that really captured my attention. Jaron Lanier bluntly speaks the truth he recognizes when he says that living according to the flow of social media and its digital practices means you ex implicitly accept a new spiritual framework. You've agreed to change something intimate about your relationship with your soul. You've probably, to some degree, effectively renounced what you might think is your religion. Because on as a result, I've come to surmise that perhaps our energies are better devoted toward getting more serious and more creative about how to genuinely live more deeply into what it means to be human. Maybe what we need is not so much more knowledge about technology, but more knowledge and understanding about being human. 
and particularly what it means that being human is an experience that is situated in time and in place within our corporal bodies and in our relationship with the divine and our neighbor. The church runs the risk of either naively promoting or remaining dangerously silent about digital habits that are slowly but surely distorting the very understanding and experience of soul formation and genuine Christian discipleship. This is the impact that our apps and our streaming and everything else is having on our souls, whether we recognize it or not. We're being shaped, we're being formed by media instead of the Lord Jesus Christ who loves us so much. I want to encourage us to lean in and think about how to spend more time in the presence of God.